Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Previously on Where is Brandy Hall, Her Last 24 Hours. Well, she was, you know, a little upset that, you know, well, you told Jeff you were going to be there, and, you know, he's counting on you, and, you know, I said, yeah, I said, I know he's counting on me, and I said, I'm sure he's counting on a lot of people to come in and stand up for him and, and, and say something. I said, but, you know, you got to really remember, you know, the position I'm in, you know, as a public service employee and a captain at the fire department and everything else. I said, you know, I, 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 I can't, I, can't, I just can't do it. I don't think it's going to look good. You know, I don't think it's going to do, um, do my career any good, you know. And, you know, I think she was, you know, uh, let down that I wasn't going to help. So or, she or, wanted you to help him? Yeah. yeah, she wanted me to help him, you know. This was definitely an old family friend with a criminal record. Um, we're still looking in and pinning down and interviewing people along with him. So at this time, I don't want to disclose his name. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Torres, and welcome to the third update episode of Murder on the Space Coast Season 3, Where is Brandy Hall? Her last 24 hours. We pick up the story with Brandy Hall leaving the Malabar fire station and checking her voicemail messages. We know that she had been texting or speaking on the phone with her lover, then married fire captain Randall Richmond, a lot, more than 80 times before Brandy left the fire station that night. Randall texted at 1051. Brandy responded at 10.53. Randall texted again at 10.56 and 10.57. He then called her at 11.06 p.m. and they spoke for 10 minutes and 46 seconds until 11.17 that night. That means there is a 9-minute gap between Randall's text at 10.57 and his call to her at 11.06. And figuring out what took place there could be crucial to finding out what happened to Brandy. Where did Brandy go next? Could she have stopped at home, which was only a half mile away? Or could she have seen someone else? Another question mark here is that 26 minutes passed from the time Brandy left the fire station at 10.51 to the end of her phone call with Randall. We know she went to fuel up just west of I-95 on Malabar Road, but that only takes a few minutes to get there. Why 26 minutes? Where did she go after leaving the fire station? Then, what happens after that phone call? Does she, as some believe, meet up with Randall? He's always denied that. One of, one of the things that kind of stumps 
if you're meeting an individual, obviously you're not going to meet with an individual and be on the phone with them at the same time. Um, so in, in getting the timeline of the phone uh, calls and texts that we got, we've got Brandy leaving the fire department at 1051, and she gets off the phone with Randall at 2317, which is 1117. That's 26 minutes. And the phone call was how long? 11 minutes? Around 11 minutes, so just shy of it. Um, with those 26 minutes, I mean, obviously that is not a 26-minute drive even pumping gas going from the Malabar Fire Department to where supposedly she had met with Randall. Okay, so there are a lot of possibilities and things to consider here. We know that when Brandy hung up, she was at the Sunoco station just west of 95 on Malabar Road, fueling up her truck. And we know 26 minutes passed between her leaving the firehouse and the end of the call. Now, she simply could have sat at that Sunoco station after fueling up and talked to Randall on the phone. Another theory I've heard is that she could have left the fire station and stopped at home before going out again and ending up at Sunoco and then, well, who knows where. Her husband Jeff says that never happened. He says Brandy didn't stop by her house. Still, here is private investigator John Lind. There's a good possibility that she stopped at home for several reasons. One, she has to drive past the road that leads to her house from where she is at the fire station to make it to where the truck was found or where she was last seen by the police officer. She literally has to drive past it. If she did stop at home, that could account for the nine minutes between contact with Randall. Could something have happened as Brandy arrived at her house that prompted her to leave again? But it's really important to find out the time the gas station, what time she filled up with gas, to put her there, because we want to find the distance between Malabar Fire Department and the gas station, because it makes a difference for stopping at the home as well as being on the road the same time as Ham Richmond. What's frustrating is that if this were to have happened in recent years, there would most certainly be video available of Brandy's journey, especially while she's fueling up her car. Now, there is some video of Brandy's truck as it passes through Walmart or Home Depot later on, but I understand it is very grainy and almost impossible to make out. I have not seen it. Perhaps the most difficult thing about this case is the time, because, you know, if this was a recent case that we were working on, you could go to a store and ask to look at camera footage, you can ask for things, and we don't know what the police department did or did not get, but the, the feeling in this case that there is a lack of some evidence or a lack of things you would wish you have. Um, and also the ability to maybe speak with the police officer who last noted the vehicles were in the parking lot at Home Depot to get an exact timeline on that because we would like to put together a more detailed timeline to narrow it. The more we can narrow the timeline, the better chance we have of finding out her activities and how other people's activity fits into that. Remember, Randall's wife, Anne-Marie, worked until 11 that night. And the hospital is right on Malabar Road between the firehouse and that Sunoco station. We also know that there was bad blood between Brandy and Anne-Marie. Did Brandy simply sit there at the gas station talking to Randall on the phone? Did she do something else? Did she meet with someone else? Did she stop by her house? Was there another stop along the way? The nine-minute gap in information and the 26 minutes between leaving the firehouse and the end of the phone call with Randall is really driving me crazy. So I went out with Private Eye Nick Sandberg to make the drive from the firehouse to Brandy's residence and then to Sunoco. And again from the firehouse straight to Sunoco to get a sense of how long it really takes. 
So producer Rob Landers and I decided to edit the audio of the drive to remove all the dead space and just give you guys the highlights. Okay, so I'm here with Nick Sandberg, and we are in the, Mal- in the, um, in the parking lot of the Malabar Fire Station. I'm about to make a U-turn, and this is approximately, approximately where Brandy took off from. I assume it's right there. Yeah, there's a um, camera that's at the front of the fire uh, department. So that was the camera, okay. So you set your timer, Nick. And so um, I'm going to just drive slowly. I'm not going to speed. I'm not going to drive extra slow on purpose. But I would have to imagine that a Thursday night, 11 o'clock at night, there's hardly going to be any traffic on this road. Right. I think even from the camera, you didn't see a lot of traffic passing by the end of the fire department. So, I mean, even now it's uh, 11 in the, in the morning, and there's no traffic on Malabar Road. So I'm going to turn right. I'm heading west on Malabar Road. And as far as we know, her next stop is to add fuel to her truck, right? At Sunogo? Right. Okay, and that's the one that's west of 95? I believe that's what Randall said. Yes, it is the one that's west of 95, the big Sunogo station. Okay, so we're just going at like 40 miles an hour here. Uh, The speed limit is actually 50, so maybe I should drive a little bit faster. Because there's something about this timeline, Nick, that just doesn't add up, right? I mean, there's at least a missing 10 minutes here. Now, she could have just pulled over and made phone calls, I guess, but this isn't really a road that has a big shoulder. You're like, you really can't pull over on this. Our truck was big, so... After the fog line, you only have about a foot and a half, and then you go into a canal. So, I mean, that big truck with the wide tires, there's no way she'd be able to pull over. Right. Okay. So, let's just assume she's driving. So, here we are driving along. It's a beautiful day in Malabar. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm doing about 45 miles an hour. Like I said, the speed limit is 50. Just want to give her the benefit of the doubt if she was cruising. We're past the Weber Road now at 2 minutes and 15 seconds. Okay. That would have been the road if she had went to her house. Gotcha, which we, which we may try to do in a minute as well. We are, are now passing Palm Bay Hospital on the right, which is where Anne-Marie Richmond worked that night until 11. Okay, and what, it's at what, like about 3 minutes almost? Uh, 2 minutes, 45 seconds. Okay, and so we just passed under the I-95 overpass after stopping at the red light there. So we've hit both red lights. Okay, even though we didn't hit that one for very long, we stopped. And now we are in the left turn lane on Malabar Road, just west of 95 to go into the Sunoco area. I guess we'll have to go into this Burger King parking lot first, or whatever it is, and then make it back uh, to the Sunoco. Now, um, we're at the six minute mark here, so. Six minutes. So if she left at 10.51, was it? Mm-hmm. So it would now be about 10.57. Now, the other thing that I was thinking is, if it is to be believed that Randall Richmond did leave the Palm Bay Fire Station that night to meet her, um, she could have just waited here for him at the Sunoco, you know, called him and, and spoke while he... Um, you know, I'm assuming it would have ha- it would have taken him a little bit of time to get ready to leave uh, the fire station and come down here. So, but I just want to see exactly what this took time-wise. We're waiting here. Um, here's the first bit of traffic, I guess. Yeah, traffic's a little thicker right here to make this left turn because there's actually not an entry point. You have to kind of do a U-turn. But um, that night, it, traffic wouldn't have been that that thick. Exactly. I mean, like she would have already been gassing up, certainly. 
we've got two cars in front of us in the left turn lane trying to get onto the rest. All right, so now I'm next to go here on the uh, on the left turn, but as Nick said, there's no traffic light and there's a lot of traffic. I'll be able to go right now. And it says no U-turn, so I'm not going to make the U-turn, which she might have done. Who knows? I'm going to go into the Lowe's parking lot here and bang a quick left to head down towards that Sunoco. And... But I, yeah, I think she was at pump 12. Pump 12. So here's, actually, pump 12 is empty. So we're going to sit here. Okay, so how long did that take, Nick? We are now in front of pump 12 at Sunoco. Uh, we are at 7 minutes, 15 seconds. So that would put the time at what? Right at 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock. And uh, now the call with Randall was at 11.06, right? Yes. Huh. So does she gas up? for six minutes and then talk to Randall? You know, like, I wonder if she pulls over over there or something and talks to Randall and says, hey, will you meet me or can you meet me? Or, you know, if, if his story is true, he says that she told him she was meeting somebody and waiting somebody for money and that she that he should not tell anybody and try not to contact him because she's leaving town. Um, she was on the phone with him for, what, 11 minutes? Yep. So, I mean, that's going to put it right at 11.15, almost going towards 11.20 on that high end. Um, at a, around 10-ish, you know, from like 9.30 to like about 10.45, where there's a lot of text going back and forth. And that's, I, I think it was kind of an argument, because when you look back on the phone That's what my wife says, an argument. When you look back on the phone records, they normally had talked. They were on the phone with each other, not really texting. And if, and if you see, there's a couple times um, Randall calls her and... It goes to voicemail. Uh, she she probably sends them the voicemail and she doesn't answer, which is very unusual in the prior call history where she answers. Hmm. Um, and then there'll be a text, and then she'll wait and respond back. Hey, if you like investigative journalism like this and what we do with our free podcast, Murder on the Space Coast, please give us a five-star review on whatever app you are listening on. And please consider a digital subscription to Florida Today. The cost is less than a cup of coffee per month and would go a long way to ensure we can keep doing this. Just go to floridatoday.com backslash 321murder or call 877-424-0156 and use the promo code 6-8K to receive a special offer exclusively for podcast listeners. Okay, I'm back, and still trying to piece together a cohesive timeline of Brandy's last hours. A big part of that timeline, if you'll remember, is that a Palm Bay police officer, Jasmine Campbell, reported seeing not only what she believed was Brandy's truck that night, but also a fire captain's vehicle. Remember, she submitted a tip about seeing the vehicles that night that supposedly got lost, and no one knew about it or acted on it for four years. And that's how it was told to us, and how we reported it. But Nick learned that that account is not entirely accurate. Here is what really happened. Officer Campbell was working the 1 p.m. to 11 p.m. shift four days a week, assigned to patrol the east side of Palm Bay. That consists of all areas east of I-95, including the drug-fueled violent areas that overlap with North Melbourne. On August 17, 2006, Campbell finished her shift and decided to do a bit of shopping. She drove south on Babcock Street, which intersects Malabar Road. She turned right on Malabar 
heading west past the I-95 overpass. She then turned left onto San Filippo Drive and then made a right-hand turn into the parking lot of Home Depot, which leads to the Walmart entrance. It was in the Home Depot parking lot that Officer Campbell saw Brandy's vehicle parked across three different parking spaces. She could tell someone was inside the truck and was going to call in the plates. Now remember, all these places I'm describing are all very close to the pond where Brandy's truck was found the following day. She was already off work and she was doing due diligence by she observed that vehicle and thought that mentally, hey, that doesn't seem right, that that's out of place. It was a standout to her. So, and even to the point when she drove out of the parking lot of Walmart, she noticed the you know, green pickup truck with tinted windows and somebody in the vehicle. Um, you know, she, she, she wasn't able to call out because uh, Palm Bay had the channel held. They had an incident going on somewhere else in the county. So she was still kind of monitoring the radio and stuff like that yeah. and would have loved to have called the tag in. Okay, so if you didn't catch that, the officer, Jasmine Campbell, spots Brandy's truck on her way into Walmart and wants to call in the tag, which is standard procedure, but the radio traffic was tied up. Then she doesn't remember if it was on her way into Walmart or on her way out, but Campbell then makes a note of seeing a Palm Bay Fire Department supervisor's truck, an SUV, parked at the Hess gasoline station. She writes in her report, quote, I thought it odd at the time due to the fact that the Hess station was closed. Close quote. Now, we were always told that Campbell literally filled out a tip sheet, turned it in, and it got lost. But what really happened was that she was called into her supervisor's office a few days after Brandy's truck was found because Campbell's patrol car was seen on video surveillance in those areas I had mentioned the night Brandy went missing. Campbell said that her supervisor at the time, Sergeant Mike Bandish, swore her in to make a verbal statement. Because she had been sworn, she assumed the verbal statement had been recorded. It had not. And all knowledge of what she had seen that night vanished right along with Brandy until August 11, 2010, when it came up in a conversation. And because of that, no one knows the exact time Campbell saw Brandy's truck or the fire captain's vehicle. On the supplemental report, she only remembers that it was sometime shortly after her shift ended at 11 p.m. Now, My little driving experiment with Nick resulted in us learning this. With pretty heavy traffic, stopping at two lights, and getting stuck in a left turn lane that felt like it took forever, we made it to the Sunoco in 7 minutes and 15 seconds. That would put the time at between 10.58 and 10.59. Now we know Randall calls Brandy at 11.06, so maybe she fuels up for 7 minutes, checks her oil, whatever. Maybe she just goes right to the Home Depot parking lot and has the 11-minute conversation there. We are still left wondering about the missing 10 minutes. But then, Nick and I made the drive again, and this time we included a pit stop at the home Brandy and Jeff lived in at the time in Malabar. The theory shared by some is that Brandy went home. Maybe she got into an argument with Jeff and then went back out. Now again, for the record, Jeff denies that Brandy ever came home that night. But here, once again, is private eye John Lind. The, the, the second thing that leads me to believe that is the interviews. Um, they thought that she was going home to say the prayers. One person did. And we still have to interview a couple more people, but the, when we interviewed them, they did not, being present in a very small room, did not hear her saying prayers with her kids, which her mother and even Jeff insists she would do every night. So it took us 
15 minutes and 45 seconds to drive from the Malabar Fire Station to Brandy's home, where we stayed parked for about five minutes, then back out onto Malabar Road to that Sunoco station. And that would put the time right at 11.06. The exact time that Randall calls Brandy, and they speak for 11 minutes. That phone call. Now remember, Randall initially denies talking to Brandy that final day, August 17th, 2006, but then changes his story. Remember, he also denies ever going out to meet her that night, but we'll address that shortly. Here he is telling two Florida Department of Law Enforcement agents about the phone call and Brandy telling him that she was leaving town. Yeah, uh, I'm leaving. Uh, where, where are you going? What are you doing? Uh, I, I, you know, she wasn't real clear about it, you know. Um, well, what are you doing right now? She says, I'm waiting on money. I says, what do you mean you're waiting on money? Well, I'm getting money. Uh, where are you getting money from? Who are you getting money from? You know, n- never was there any answers to those questions. Never. Okay. And where was she at during that call? She was at, well, she told me she was at the Sunoco. Okay. And, and which Sunoco? I'm assuming it would be the one, which is what I think I told in the, the interview and everything before, would have been the one on the west side of 95, the big one. Because there's another one on the other side. It's called, the, this used to be called the store, but that's Sunoco also. Okay. I'm assuming that's where she would have been, you know, never really said. Now that conversation became pretty emotional, right? Between you and her, her saying she's leaving? Well, it became confusing. You know, what do you mean you're leaving? Where are you going? You know, you can't leave. Aren't you violating something to do with what has happened with your drugs? You know, I, I didn't know, I thought I remembered something about sometime that, that she couldn't leave the area or something, and, and maybe I'm wrong, I didn't know. You know, you can't leave, you know, that, aren't you going to be violating something? Uh, what are you going to do about the kids? What about Jeff? You know, how are you going you know, to take care of the kids? You can't leave, you know, things like that. And like I said, nothing was ever answered, whether she was leaving for an hour, three hours you know so she wouldn't answer any of those questions no, she you. was very vague in all of it so she didn't tell you she wasn't coming back or anything no nope. she just said nope. I'm, I'm leaving all right so like you said just now for all you knew she was leaving for a day or three hours or whatever okay all right now you hang up the phone with her and that's it well I told her I said do I need to come down there no, you don't need to come down here. Don't come down here. You know. Okay. And that, and pretty much I left it at that. All right. So, because, I mean, there's always been the, you know, the blood in the truck and everything else. Um, so when, when you and her were talking, what time was that? Ballpark. I, I know we're testing your memory a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. 10, 11 o'clock? I don't know. Okay. I mean, I know that somebody's got the phone records. I mean, they right. down to the minute. I, I would think that it yeah. Well, and, and 10, again, we're, we're talking to you, so we're yeah, not using I know. that. I know. That's, that's good that you can remember. I think it was 10, 11 o'clock. I, I mean, 
I could be wrong an hour here, an hour there. Right. So she never said, I'm leaving for good, that's it? No, no. Okay. Um, so when you hang up from her, well, let me, let me digress. You tried to get her to let you come down here and talk to her, she wouldn't. Yeah, she, well, I said, do I need to come down here? No, you don't need to come down here. Other than the mystery surrounding Brandy's disappearance, Randall Richmond's movements that night remain the biggest mystery. Remember, he was working at a firehouse in Palm Bay that night, just a few miles from Brandy. He swears that he never left the firehouse that night, but questions remain. The first is then, how do we explain the fire captain's vehicle spotted by Officer Jasmine Campbell shortly after Brandy left the Malabar fire station? The second is that at 12.30 that night, Friday morning the 18th, Randall turned on his pack set or portable radio. Now, there was a radio in his quarters at the fire station that was always on. If that's the case, why would he need to turn one on if he was indeed inside the station? When agents begin pressuring Randall, he insists that he never left the station. I never left the station. Why are you guys, why are you still pointing the barrel at me like, like you just said? Well, I mean, I know there's a lot of people out there who said, well, you were the he, last he's person the one that had to do it because him and her had the affair. I'll, I'll, give you some, I'll give you some exact reasons. There's some reasons. Reason yeah. All right. You, you talked talk to, to her on average. average. Well, not only that, you talked to her on average, either talked to her or text messaged her uh, 52 times a day. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. They ran that. Yeah. All, the, all this stuff in here, all the telephone records, and a lot of the things that I asked you in here, I already knew the answers to. Oh, I, did I answer them honestly? No. Why not didn't I answer honestly? Not all of them, but that's all right. We'll we'll go into that at a later point. Let me let me let me carry on. You're coming in on a Friday night and giving one statement and then coming back on Sunday. Yeah, that has some obvious well, issues. Yeah, and I told the police that that didn't. Told Kevin and and Jess that that all didn't look good. I knew that didn't look good, but you made a phone call to Jeff at night, telling Jeff that you um you would be there for him. Next phone call to I make is to Ann from the station. I called Jeff at that night, mm -hmm. and then did you? Okay. Then you make a phone call to Ann, and then you make a phone call to Brandy, and then a series of phone calls occurs between you and Brandy and text messages. She leaves at 23:06. You talk to her. That phone call lasts 11 minutes. At 23:17, that phone call terminates. At 23:38, her husband starts trying to call her, and she's never been heard from again. Now, everybody and their brother has called her and called her and called her, but not Randall. You never call her again. Well, you I talked to her on average 52 times a day. I and told never her called that her I again. Did. When Brandy's husband, Jeff, rings Brandy's phone that night at 11.47, the call goes straight to voicemail. Next time on Murder on the Space Coast, Where is Brandy Hall? Our last 24 hours. One of the things about this case, if you have listened to Murder on the Space Coast, for those of you listening out there, if you haven't, I recommend you do it. Uh, during Murder on the Space Coast, you talked about life being strange, real life being stranger than fiction. And uh, I can tell you that in this case alone, there are things that still have yet to come out that are even stranger than fiction. Why does he feel the need to tell a story to the police, insert himself. And then even more suspicious to me was, particularly if you're a married man having an affair 
the last thing it would appear you'd want is to have your name in the middle of this. Uh, you'd want to distance yourself unless you felt the need to insert a bogus story. If you have any information as to Brandy Hall's whereabouts, please call 1-800-423-TIPS. That's 1-800-423-8477. Calls are anonymous and are not recorded. To subscribe to Florida Today, please visit floridatoday.com backslash 321murder. For now, I'm news columnist John A. Torres, and you can follow me on Twitter at John Albert Torres. That's at J-O-H-N-A-L-B-E-R-T-O-R-R-E-S. And for more information on these cases and web exclusives, please go to whereisbrandyhall.com. Murder on the Space Coast is written and narrated by me, John A. Torres. The producer is Rob Landers, and the editor is Mara Bellaby. Thank you for listening to Murder on the Space Coast, brought to you by Florida Today a part of the USA Today Network.